Hot damn, we made it to another week, y'all. Welcome back to the highway with Kyle Shutt. I am a little hungover today, but that serves me right. Hydrate, everybody. Hydrate. Every single guest on this show is special, but we have an extra special one for you. This week, Miss Alex White from White Mystery. She does it all. Plays the guitar, sings, plays drums, makes movies. <laughs> Sound familiar? As always, if you're digging what we're dishing, go ahead and hit that follow button or that subscribe link or that bell or that whistle. All those things really help this show out. And if you want to go one step further, you can find us at patreon.com slash the highway. And for a few scant dollars a month, you can help keep this show running. You can get early access to next week's episode. Get yourself a shout out. Maybe even help me put some beer in the fridge. Uh, this week we got Glenn Sullivan, my boy Jody Giordano, my other, my other homie Tim Fay. Everybody, everybody helps this show run, and I thank y'all so much. We couldn't do it without you. We also got to spread some love on our sponsors, Heil Sound. Because if you like the way I sound, it's because there's a Heil in front of me. Now, I know we're supposed to say less talk, more rock, but that's not really how this show goes. So let's go ahead and do things my way. The Highway. Everybody, Miss Alex White from White Mystery and uh, many other projects through the years. You've uh, you've been busy, busy, busy. Yeah, yeah. I started playing guitar when I was thirteen and started playing in bands. I'm born and raised here in the city of Chicago, so we were playing basements and backyards as teenagers. Yeah. And then um, I started playing with older people when I was in high school and started touring and started a record label. And for the last thirteen years today. I've played with my brother in White Mystery. I love it. The old, the old uh, did you have a sibling rivalry and then you came together over music or have you always like been best friends or do you, do you still hate each other? I don't know. <laughs> we are like inseparable besties for awesome. sure. That's right. Yeah. yeah. He wishes he could be here, but he, Francis White, my brother and the drummer of White Mystery is a teamster. So he is working today on set. You got to make that money. These days when you Especially can. this year. I know, right? Is he is he stoned on the job right now? Do we need to report him? Or... <laughs> no comment. <laughs> well, um, I would love to pick your brain about Chicago. Um, it's actually one of my favorite cities in the world. Uh, it's it's just it's different than your average metropolitan just huge area because like you just drive through the Midwest and you're just going through tiny town after tiny town and all of a sudden just Chicago just like opens up and you're in this massive. Uh, city, I love it. I've, every time I pull into Chicago, I'm like, oh, finally a real city, goddamn. <laughs> but yeah. um, but and you said you've been playing with them since uh, since oh three. You said right, um, playing bands. Uh, yeah, with, with White Mystery and, and, and everything since. Oh, with White Mystery, so we started the band where we looked at our MySpace. We we're like, when did we start this MySpace? Yeah. It was on April twentieth, two thousand eight. Oh eight. Okay, sorry. Oh eight. Okay, yeah. Sweet. So, uh, yeah, Chicago is one of those cities that, like, I swear, every time we would play there, we'd play a different venue. It's like there's no shortage of uh, clubs or anything there. There's definitely my favorites, you know, like uh, Double Door, which I, I don't know if is there anymore. Uh, or clubs. Ah, that's okay. Um, but uh, Empty Bottle, Subterranean, all that stuff. And just uh, I wanted to ask you, like, uh, uh, are there any clubs that you haven't played in Chicago? <laughs> that you 
you would like to? <laughs> That's such a good question. So we've played 1,200 shows since 2008. That's crazy. And, you know, we've played some venues in Chicago 25 times, right. you know, like the, like the Hideout and the Empty Bottle and Sub T. But I guess as far as places that we have never played would be the United Center where the Bulls play. Uh-huh. You know, or Soldier Field, like where Metallica right. play. You know, so we we haven't played a stadium, but we've played on a parade float with Sir Richard Branson, That's like going down sick. the street, like wild, crazy on boats, on trains. We played the train station with Mavis Staples. You know, like <laughs> weird places, but we. And I think there's still time, you know, to play those big ass stadiums, sport arena mm-hmm. places. That'd be sick. It's I, I love playing arenas. It's such a different thing because you almost like can't hear yourself. I I'm not a big fan of being uh, on in ears. You know, I, I like monitors and stuff. But like when at a venue that big, you almost have to have ears in just to just so you don't get tripped up by like the the kick drum echoing off of something like a hundred feet away or, or whatever. You know, and uh, it's it's interesting. Um, I was trying to think of the the only places I haven't played in Chicago. I've never played the House of Blues there. It's like one of the most oh. famous. Houses of Blues, House of Blueses. I don't know how you say it, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, that that was one of the only ones that I never got the chance to play. Maybe one day, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, but we uh, played there yeah. a couple years ago. Uh huh. Yeah, it was cool. It's a great stage. It's a really big room. It kind of opens up in front of you. It's mm-hmm. like multi-floored, yeah. multiple balconies. And one of my favorite memories is seeing the Cramps there when I was like fifteen. Oh, that's so sick. They're one of my favorite bands. Yeah, same. I could see that with, with y'all's style and everything. Uh, I love the way you play guitar. Um, and also, I've never played a Rickenbacker. Is that that's kind of your signature, right? Um, yeah. Or, or your, I got your, that, your go-to. I got that Rick brand new when I was fifteen nice. from the Chicago Music Exchange, which I would guess you've probably visited many times. We we did a little um, a live session from there one time, and they have like a little um, room in the back they would film stuff in. Yeah, so that used to be a teeny tiny storefront, a total, totally different location. And I went there and I was 15 and I used to work at Gallery 37, which was like a city arts program for public school kids. Mm-hmm. We actually made money painted and I had all my, you know, birthday checks and babysitting money. And you don't need a car in Chicago. You don't yeah. turn like 15 or 16 need a car. We take the train, the bus everywhere. I was like, I need to get like a real axe. Cause I, I learned on one of those Dan Electro reissues, you know, those early 2000s Dan Electro. Those are tough to play actually. Like if you learn on a guitar like that, you can kind of play anything. They're cute, but like the input jack would just spin out all the uh-huh. time. It was like a reoccurring problem. And I was playing shows at that point. I was like, this is bullshit. I need a real, <laughs> <laughs> I need a real guitar. And there's this guy named Heath Jensen who now owns Rock and Roll Vintage, which is a very cool specialty gear place in Chicago. And he worked at the Music Exchange at the time, and I was like, I don't want a Strat, and I want to be a Strat daddy. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't want an SG, because everyone and their mom plays an SG. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think? And the 330 was up on the top rack, and he pulled it down, and it was like Angel's Choir. You know, like, like this beautiful fire glow rack. And it's been my main guitar since I'm 36. So I've had it for 21 years. My goodness. 
I kind of, I'm not really that much of a gear nerd. Uh, people probably don't want to hear that. They're like, no. But um, I, I, I look at guitars like like tools. You know, like I use them for what I need them to do. I just try to use the guitars like, not to sound too cheesy, but like an extension of myself to like, you know, take that noise in my head and like make it make it become, you know, uh, yes. and everything. So I ended up uh, partnering up with Reverend Guitars and I got to uh, design my own guitar, which was great. If I could marry Reverend Guitars, I would, but it's, it's a guitar that it won't talk back to me. But um, yeah, so that, that's rad. And uh, mine's kind of it's like a real big body too, kind of like, like your Rick, you know, just like I like a big, nice kind of like semi-hollow guitar. It makes the, um, the resonance uh, just kind of sing a little more when you do crazy bends or, or stuff like that. But yeah, I do love it. The semi-hollow is where it's at, especially if you play with like a muff, which is my uh-huh. favorite. Like I love, I have a signature pedal called the Firekeeper, nice. which is based on a, a big muff, like a 79 Ram's Head muff, uh-huh. which is like uh-huh. an epic muff. And all you need is a Rick, one muff, like something like that. And then I play through Orange Amps, which I fucking love. That's great. And who, who made your pedal? So Daredevil Pedals here in Chicago. Sweet. Very cool boutique here. And that just trio of ingredients. Yeah just like squelches it's so big and when you're in a two-piece you know you really have to carry a lot of weight mm-hmm. that's intense yeah because you got no base to fall back on so yeah, i could see that muff oh you know with the sword it was like we already we had so much low end going on with our bass player and he had a bunch of synthesizers and stuff too i ended up finding that um the, the tone that i would have to create would be really harsh and abrasive just to cut through all that to where like by itself it might not necessarily sound like <laughs> like the most pleasant tone in the world but uh, that's got to be really fun just being the only guitar player and just like letting it rip it is cool yeah. and just what you're describing like if we isolated your track just on its <laughs> own you know versus how it integrates uh-huh. with your band and like the role that it plays but I, it makes me think of that uh, documentary with Jack White it gets loud or something. It, Do you know what it, I'm talking it about? It might get loud. It Is that what it's called? Loud. Yeah. And, and, it, and I remember it, that movie not getting loud once. But, <laughs> well, I was, but whatever. I was going <laughs> to reference the part where the edge from U2 is like, all uh-huh. right, so I turn on like three chorus pedals and then it sounds something like this. It's like, screener, getter, I'm guilty of bagging on U2 really hard i don't know why i can't get into their music i try i i I genuinely do try sometimes or if like it'll come on the radio randomly i like won't change the station and i'm just like there's a reason they sold 100 million albums i just i just i can't hear it i don't know um some of their older stuff that's like a little more punk i can kind of get more into but i don't know this maybe it's, it's just not for me because yeah. I've bagged on bands before that I ended up really liking. I used to hate the police, and now they're, like, they're one of my favorite bands. I don't know. So it's like maybe you have like uh, like your brain is kind of like your taste buds. Like every seven years, you have like all new cells, and you just need to like give, give stuff a shot again, you know? Yeah. Ooh, the police. I have not quite come around to that. But I, I, will, I will admit that in high school, I did not like Metallica, you know, like in the early 2000s because there was a big rift between whether you were a punk or you're a metalhead uh-huh. and you and you couldn't be both oh, it no. was either you know especially in chicago i mean like I, I really wanted to touch on the punk scene there because um i almost moved to chicago in 2000 uh, instead i moved to austin but i um I, I i adored you know thick records all like blue meanies lawrence arms broadways 
fucking who else is on the slapstick there's more there's there's too much an alkaline trio from there i mean like it's just i i I, i'm a punk at heart i really am um people see me as this like you know stoner metalhead guy which i am too don't get me wrong but um yeah at at heart (laughs) i just love nothing more than a a kick-ass punk band did you uh did you grow up like going to shows at the fireside and seeing all those bands like before they got crazy April 30th in 1998 was the first time I went to the Fireside Bowl. It was my 13th birthday. <laughs> and, and I went and I saw the Teen Idols. Nice. Who were like, you know, of that kind of uh-huh. era of amazing music that was coming through Chicago with Fireside Bowl being that hub mm-hmm. for those bands. And you mentioned the Blue Meanies, the guy who was the lead singer of that since moved to Hot Springs, Arkansas, uh-huh. and White Mystery played Valley of the Vapors, which is this very cool festival they have around South by Southwest down there. And he introduces himself, and I'm like, are you the guy from the fucking Blue Meanies? <laughs> like, dude, we're not worthy, you know, 20 years later. Uh-huh. And, I mean, seeing those bands, and also Ska, Ska was very hot. Huge, huge back then. At the time, yeah. you know, in those late 90s, we had Jump Up Records, Chicago. But what was so cool, and I don't know if kids these days, quote unquote, have access to the amazing all ages shows that we had at that time. That's true. I th- I have a feeling uh, I want to get back to Blue Meanies in a second because I do have quite a bit to say about that amazing band. Um, but I will say that I feel like post COVID. I think like the house show scene is going to come back. I feel like it went away or maybe I'm just old and I, not, I don't get invited to them anymore. But I mean, we used to just live at house shows and, and, and parties like that and stuff like that. And I feel like so many smaller clubs are going to be closing and, or just aren't going to pull through. And, and also whenever bands start touring again, it's going to be cutthroat out there. There's going to be so much competition. Everybody, I mean, every band in the world took a year and a half off. Like everybody's itching to get out. And so they're all going to go out at the same time and we're all going to just be tripping over each other's feet trying to mm-hmm. make it happen so i, I have a, and then the the really the smaller bands that you know aren't going to be able to get club shows because the clubs are just going to be clogged and i have a feeling like house shows basement shows things like that are going to make a comeback i i hope so i think that's cool but um mm-hmm. but with blue meanies yeah bill um billy spunk spunky however you want to pronounce it yeah he's a sweet guy i actually um i he uh, made dinner for us at his house in hot springs one time i was on a, a bit of a stand-up tour and uh the guy that was uh, jt haberset good friend of mine uh who sort of got me into doing uh, stand-up comedy uh we had a show booked there at his club I, uh, uh something arts arts low-key arts low-key art yeah, yeah he uh booked yeah. a show there for us and uh yeah bill invited us over to his house cooked us a bunch of bratwurst and stuff and i got to punish him a little bit i was like you know when i was 17 i was on the blue mini street team whenever uh post wave came out and like i was like capital records was sending me cds i was giving out at shows and like flyers and stuff i had like you know, pictures of little 17 year old me wearing like a dead milkman t-shirt like posing with them looking like the happiest kid in the world it was, oh, it was so funny but, uh, yeah, yeah he's a he's a sweet guy blue meanies were like a huge band for me uh growing up because they they got hit with the ska label but they were more in that that like bungle extreme kind of crowd i just thought they were just like the chaos that they were able to harness was so rad and whenever you would watch them play bills like i think i saw them one time with like i think it was link 80 uh alkaline trio and the blue meanies headlining and like it was a cool show leading up to them but then when blue meanies took the stage like it got evil in there they were like these dudes wearing suits that like wouldn't take shit from anybody and it was fucking aggressive man it was so cool i love that yeah 
there's a lot of bands that just kind of got, it was almost just like an all ages scene more than like a specific genre uh-huh. because there was also like the Mooney Suzuki from New uh-huh. York who I feel very heavily influenced by because when they got on the stage and they were playing like MC5 style in your face, like kick out the jams, rock and roll, I had not been exposed to that as contemporary music. Like you think of the Stones, you think of Led Zeppelin, but when you're 14 or 15 years old, that's not accessible to you, those oldies. So when the Mooney Suzuki got on stage, I was like, this is the shit like this you know they're climbing up the at the metro like the two support beams and the guy gets up to the top and starts ripping and you're just like this is the coolest thing i've ever seen and the donna's were also playing all of those kind of pop punk lookout records shows so that was like super influential to me for sure that's so cool i forgot about the donna's where are they if they got back together right now they would own shit yeah, and we've tried getting them to reunite. The, the, <laughs> the answer is always no. But you never know. You never know. You couldn't pay me enough money to get back in a van with them. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Speaking of vans, yeah, you played so many shows. How how do you tour? Because being in a two piece, you could tour in a freaking skittle. You know, Dude. like yeah. What do you? What's your preferred method of of traveling the world? So that that whole time that we would tour North America, even on decent sized tours we we drove my pontiac vibe yes. which is a hatchback and we call it the apollo 13 because our chins <laughs> were like on our knees that whole time but it was so, so practical so freaking practical yeah, was it cost it, 20 bucks to fill up with gas jesus 25 bucks yeah. you know what i mean really inexpensive and easy to fix because it's a pontiac and totally under the radar uh-huh. so you're like Yep. playing the Lower East Side and you park in front of the venue, you park in front of the cake shop or, you know, you're in San Francisco and you're park- doing street parking and it's very low key. You know, thank God we never got our gear ripped off or anything like that because it didn't look like a band vehicle, uh-huh. no bumper stickers. But finally, this thing ticked up to 300K in wow. miles like a year ago and it, it took its last dump. Yeah. And I bought another Pontiac Vibe from the last <laughs> year. They produced it because I was like, I love this car. That is a workhorse. 300,000 miles. My goodness. Yeah. yeah I'm also, I'm, I'm kind of low-key mad at you right now for being able to just park anywhere you want. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> In you New know York. how it is. You know oh, yeah. how it is. If what? you got a trailer or whatever, it's impossible. Also, like There's in New no York, way. if you're on, if you're on one of those unfortunate tours where you're in a tour bus, uh, and you have to play New York City, sometimes you have to leave the bus. Like in New Jersey, literally, like you have to get a box truck, take your gear into the man. Like they won't. Sometimes they just close the tunnels down and won't let a bus or a trailer. And you just never know until you get there, and then you get woken up by somebody. And they're like, "Hey, man, we gotta leave the bus behind." You're like, "No, it's my it's my coffin." Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so I and, I, you know, I prefer the van uh, myself, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was not comfortable, but it was very practical. Oh, yes. And when we toured Europe, we got, you know, a station wagon. And finally, what we realized as a two-piece is that almost every place had a backline for us. Uh-huh. So we ended up, like, renting, like, an electric car for the last tour in Europe. Sick. Yeah. And we've had drivers before, but Francis and I are so on the sibling wavelength with each other. It was weird 
having a third wheel, honestly. Uh-huh. So we just drove ourselves and when we, turned, we just have fun. He'll drive and I'll like hold up the water bottle to his face so he could drink or like hold a sandwich <laughs> up like, you know, like this for him to eat. And then the coolest was touring Japan and just taking their, um, the bullet train. their super train, the bullet train. Yeah. That was awesome. How, uh, how did you like touring Japan? It was just so freaking cool. Isn't it? Oh, it, my it's God. It's just like um, I always tell people, like, if you want the bang for your buck, like, if you want to feel like you are not anywhere that you've been before, you know, go to Japan. It is absolutely incredible. Everyone there is so sweet and helpful, too. And it's just um, if if they don't if they can't speak the language that you speak and they will do anything they can to make sure that you get what you need. I've just never uh, seen such a hospitable nation. It's, it's just wonderful over there. Yeah. Yeah. Another fun thing and is like the, wild about the, music. they are. Uh, did you play the Club Quattro kind of circuit? Is that what you were playing? Uh, it's kind of like a chain of clubs. It's it's basically I just like it because oh, it yeah. looks like a dirty dive bar. You know, is it, like to a T. It looks disgusting, but it's actually spotless clean. You know what I mean? They just decorated it just so that it looks like a nasty nightclub. I just I was like, why can't all nightclubs be like this? Like if if you've ever played the end. In Nashville, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's just oh, like... so nasty. Oh my god! <laughs> it's like, can y'all just clean? Yeah, this shit I heard that place. I heard that place was like in trouble or something. Like Exit Inn is for sale, and like the no, end, they might want to really? take it down. Or oh my something. god, yeah. I had no idea. Eesh. Yeah, yeah. Some music, but too. yeah, Japan was. So there's this band I want to shout out to called the Zoo Bombs, who are from Japan, and that's who we toured with. So we did seven shows in seven days in seven different cities. And they were also just like the nicest people on earth. Plus they rip, you know, on top of being excellent, excellent people. But they played the first ever South by Southwest in Austin. Wow. Wasn't that 96 or something like that or whenever that? I can't remember how old it is. 94, Uh something like that. And that was when they kind of first started and they were trying to pull internationally mm-hmm. as a priority of that festival. It's like, we are grabbing talent worldwide. And I think the Zoo Bombs at some point also played with Nirvana when they when they played the US. Damn. Yeah. I've never heard of them. I gotta go check it out. What, cool. what, is it like, like punk or is it like, what would you label it as, do you think? It's rock and roll. It's very Stones influenced rock and roll, very garagey, but then it has some like kind of cool like psych sort of interludes that happen. I'll, nice. I'll follow up with you and send a link, but it's it's great stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I love finding out about new music. It's difficult these days. Like I, I miss the days of crate digging in the record store and just like hanging out with friends and that, that's how you would find about find out about bands and stuff. Now, I, I'm kind of guilty of just I think I'm on the older side now where I'm like, how do you play following this playlist curator? I just, I don't know anymore. I'm just like, (laughs) I still rely on uh, people to tell me about the new cool stuff or, or old stuff. I haven't heard yet. You know what I mean? Totally. I I love 45s. That's my passion. The way that I like to listen to music Uh and they're still at thrift stores. You know, I got some cool. I actually got Surfing Bird by the Trashman. It's like, and it's like, you know, 50 cents. But as far as like Spotify goes, like, A, out of principle, I'm not a ginormous fan. And B, it doesn't have a lot of the music that I like on it. Like, Spaceman 
Spaceman 3 was not on Spotify. I think they still are not. But they're on YouTube. And I, I actually do have a YouTube premium account because mm-hmm. a lot of those deeper cuts, live stuff, weirdo stuff, like for instance, um, we did the House of Vans thing last night. Nice. And we had to we had to provide a Spotify playlist. And I was like, ugh. And a lot of the stuff I wanted to put on the playlist was not on there. Uh-huh. It's not it's not available on Spotify. You have to be a certain kind of band to have existed at a certain point or have it, the management or support uh-huh. to get your stuff on Spotify. And it's just not the case for everybody. You can't, there are services like I use TuneCore for my own solo stuff if I'm going to put stuff on there. And that's it's it's a nice service, but it's still it's it's confusing and it, it takes upkeep and it costs money. You know, too, and like the the uh, the cost versus benefit. Sometimes it's just like, am I really going to pay fifty bucks to put this song up that you know a hundred people are going to stream, and I'm never going to make this money back? You know, it's, you're better off using Bandcamp, which I love. Um, I just I just dropped a song on Bandcamp right before this phone call. I, uh, it's called Concrete Weed, or that's the name Whoa. of the, the name of the band. Uh, it is 420 after all. Me and my my uh, graphic designer collaborator friend Austin Buchanan uh, threw down on a stupid heavy fucking drone track with a bunch of samples over it and it's just it's perfect for smoking all your weed too so yeah if anybody wants to yeah get, get on Bandcamp, support some artists it feels good inside yeah, yeah. it's accessible you know uh-huh. like i feel like there just aren't many hoops that you have to jump through to make to get your music it's almost like what myspace was like that was the huge awesome kind of technological development uh-huh. in my early music career being a teen and getting the first ever version of GarageBand on your little laptop and being like, yo, I can record uh-huh. a demo in my basement just off the internal mic on my laptop and get it on MySpace later that day. We're like a fucking band all of a sudden. Why did we abandon MySpace? Who decided that Facebook was going to be it? Facebook is the worst. I just yeah. think, I mean, I know we're I'm on it everywhere. I have to be, unfortunately. But it's just like MySpace. It was perfect. You could get your music yeah. up there. You could reach all your friends. I don't know. I, I felt like it was such a better model. It, it was freaking awesome. Bands could message each other, uh-huh. which now we kind of have to use Twitter for that. Because on Facebook, it would be Kyle and Alex messaging each other directly. But right. I might end up in your weird other box because uh-huh. we're not blah, blah. But in MySpace, you're just like... Hey, we're playing Detroit soon. You guys want to play together? And that was like a means of communication. And you could actually customize mm-hmm. your page, like black background, red, you know, Comic Sans. You know, like, <laughs> and it was cool. And I think what ended up happening was that it got so popular, it got sold. And I think Rupert Murdoch bought it from Fox and he purchased it and just abandoned it. And it opened up space for for someone like MySpace to to jump in to the market and yeah. take over. Yeah. Uh, well, you can't win them all. There's going to be a new one soon, I'm sure. Then I'm going to be too old to learn how to use it. <laughs> I like I like Twitter. I mean, I want Instagram mostly, but I like Twitter just because it's like my personal like my my public notebook. You know, every stupid idea I get, I just I'm like I'll just let y'all decide whether this is good or not. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah, free, it frees up the other uh, notepad on my phone anyway. I actually try to uh, stop myself before I use it in that way. Where I'm just like, oh, 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 oh
Right. What? Well, um, I'm a I'm an avid gamer. Uh, I, I game when I can, and uh, y'all just made a freaking video game. Uh, partnered up with a, a dispensary, right? Are they open yet, or is it like a? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's rad. Like, tell me, please tell me uh, how that was like creating a video game and uh, and yeah, putting yourself in it and your band. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta do that. Yeah. So here in Chicago, cannabis is recreationally legal as of January 1st, 2020. So over a year, it's a big breakthrough, honestly, you know, considering that <laughs> it was a, you know, criminal offense for so long. Oh, so yeah. here we are like <laughs> going to a shop. So dispensary 33 was the first ever medical dispensary here in Chicago. And very early in their opening, we started teaming up. So white mystery and dispensary 33. So for instance, we got a feature in high times and we needed to shoot it somewhere cool. So we, you know, reached out to the dispensary. Can we, you know, do it with you? And then we ended up playing their festival called Waldo's forever. And then when weed or cannabis became legal, we, produced the whole like intake of new customers into the place. So I have a business background. I have a business degree. I'm getting my master's. I'm getting my MBA right now. And I help people solve complicated problems nice. in music and media. So if someone's like, this is my dream, but I have no idea how to, what the steps are mm. to execute on it. I can usually look at a problem and, you know, Rubik's cube, solve it for somebody. So we helped them with the, the production of the weed legalization. So when they approached me and said, yo, we want to do a video game because, you know, let's face it, like we've got virtual stream fatigue yeah. and that's kind of available now. So it's like, watch me stream, watch me stream, watch me live. You know, they, they wanted to really step up and see what they could do and still reach people in a virtual way. So Space Raft, which is a Milwaukee-based band, and Jordan Davis, who is uh, the dude of Space Raft, used to be in a band called Mystery Girls, and we knew each other as teenagers and stayed really good pals. He put out his own NES game uh, a year or two ago. He did a Kickstarter, and I was like, that's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. So when Dispensary 33 reached out, I was like, I got a guy. <laughs> I got a guy. And I had this vision of an alien in outer space. See, you know, looking down at Earth and the globe turns and it's just like a pot leaf. And Waldo, the little alien's like, I got to go down there. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the game is Waldo going through the city of Chicago, hopping across our trains, dodging rats. You know, pizza, hot dogs, the whole shadoodle, and, you know, flying around in a spaceship, collecting joints and hitting the bong, and he starts going super fast. And we, we, we made it together. We actually produced it in like a month and a half. It was super That's aggressive. Fast. I thought it was going to kill me. Like, I thought I was going to die. And, <laughs> and everything was fine. So, uh, and then, you know, it's available to play mobile. And on desktop, and we're producing NES cartridges, so that's incredible. Uh, yeah, it's I played it. Awesome. It's very fun. It, it's it's seamless. It really is. Uh, just the, the mechanics are just simple enough for anybody to grasp. And it's it's just uh, yeah, when he when you hit a joint and he just starts flying and like you're collecting <laughs> the little tokens, it shit is so fun. I loved it. It's a great job. Thank you. And then yeah, uh, you get to see a white mystery show. 
uh, at the yeah. end of it. Yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> yeah, so, we, so the other cool aspect about this game is that we were able to bring in like local talent mm-hmm. to kind of feature. So uh, Chicago has a very vibrant drag queen scene. Nice. And like we're talking like, you know, TV, uh, super high high quality level of performance where Denali was just on RuPaul's Drag Race. Denali is in the game. Lucy Stuhl, who's a very dear friend of ours, is also in the game. Show You Suck, who's also a gamer and a rapper here in Chicago, he's in the game and he's like, everyone's just like, that's me. I'm a little 8-bit sprite on the screen. This is crazy. <laughs> it's, it's not 3D and we had to design the whole thing in NES uh-huh. software. And the music is produced using software called FamiTracker, which is what is used for arcade in NES and 8-bit games. And your output from FamiTracker is a TXT file. It's a text file. It's binary code that gets shit out of this FamiTracker. So it's like you have to use very old technology. Wow. And then you have to integrate it with the year 2021. So. It's called Waldo's Forever. It's free to play. Like anyone can play it from Dispensary 33. And um, you could play it on your phone, which is really cool, also. I love it. It's so fun. I'm jealous. The Sword always wanted to do a, a video game or, or something um, to accompany some of the more, like, you know, um, imagery heavy things that we had, had written about and stuff in the past. And um, the closest we ever got was uh, we, we did a, an animated video that was done in the 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 style of like the eight bit sort of like chip tune kind of thing and uh the for the song use future and it was like that was as close as we got but uh it was like i, I still want to make a game i still really want to make a game it's like one of the few things i haven't done uh and um because i i don't know i, I kind of get involved with all sorts of projects my brain just starts like turning i'm like i should write a book and the next thing i know i'm like oh no or like make a movie or like no here we go here we go again uh but uh but uh, I, I did re- I, I perused your Wikipedia page while preparing for Ew. this call, and um, it, did, it did mention something about a film that you had produced. Yeah. Uh, how, yes. how is that? Because I, I, I sort of have the gears turning in my head to, to make a documentary, but I, I wanted to pick your brain about that. Yeah, that's awesome that you saw that. So, and actually, the movie's called That Was Awesome. <laughs> and what, so, White Mystery started on April 20th, 2008. And once we realized, we're like, oh, wait, we like somehow locked that down as our band anniversary we started releasing new music on that day every single year so we've put out nine albums and after we did our double album double dragon we're like gotta do something super cool and like one-up ourselves you know so we put out a film we put out a feature-length movie and it's very much inspired by head by the monkeys where it's just like nonsensical psychedelic kind of takes you on a visual trip Mm -hmm. supported by music and there's like plot lines and characters and cameos from people and whatever and basically like the eureka moment that we had was that double drag in that double album we put out like um like a 12 minute music video because it's just like a magnum opus kind Uh of we're like if we could put out a 12 minute music video why don't we get like six people to make us 12 minute music videos? And then it's a movie because it's like over 60 minutes. So we ended up shooting a lot of scenes on tour. It's not a documentary, Uh it's fiction. So when we were on tour in Vegas, you know, we shot something in the desert out there. When we were playing Meltasia in Georgia, we shot stuff out in the swamp and that kind of thing. 
and we had an editor stitch it all together and then kind of had like a thorough, like a, a, like a throughout narrative at this head shop near our house. And we, we dropped, which is, I, I wrote this article for High Times, which is the most legendary head shops in America. And some of them date back to 1968, like Adam's apple down the block from my house. So we shot in there and it's funny, it's slapstick. There's rotoscoping, which is cartoon over live action in a part in that. It just, it's just so cool. And it actually was in movie theaters. Damn. Yeah. That's incredible. And it came out on 420, and we had a green carpet. People had to walk up the green carpet. <laughs> What's it like navigating uh, distribution and things like that with, um, with with theaters? Okay, well, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. And uh, you can sell out a theater, and you might only make like 150 bucks if you sell out like a 200 person. It's so expensive. Wow. You rent a theater, like if you don't have you know, like a major production company ponying up, the, right. like the equivalent of a major label or whatever that's ponying up the uh -huh. cash for the expensive endeavors. So we ended up playing, like a, doing a lot of matinees because it was cheap uh -huh. besides the premiere, which was a, a film festival. So they ponied up that cash for us. Did you play a show in the theater after the movie? We played one down the block in something called the Comfort Station, which is like a Chicago Park District hut. That was like across the street from the movie theater. Like a gazebo or something? Yeah, like like enclosed, but like about the size oh, of a okay. gazebo. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and that came out on 420. And um, oh, so it plays on public access television now in Chicago. That's like how you can actually watch it. That's got to be. Uh, scheduling your life around 420 is like such a not stoner thing to do because <laughs> you have to like you have to really plan you know to hit that deadline you know <laughs> if you're stoned all the time you'd be like shit yeah. 420's next Friday fuck oh man yeah. we gotta get our shit together uh, it's kind of like this show The Highway where I'm like I actually I, I, I hate to admit that I don't smoke weed before I do it because I would just be like so uh you're in like a band that's cool <laughs> I joke like it's the the Chris Farley show be like y'all tour that was awesome give me one sec oh yeah yeah Hopefully that doesn't mess up your your editing. No, there. no, it's I, I run it all all the way so that it um, it's super easy. I mean, it takes about the amount of time that it does to actually make the phone call, so it's not that bad. It's it's a convoluted setup for for those at home that care. I've got a, I've got a Heil PR40 plugged into a Focusrite uh, Scarlet Solo uh, from my end, and then your end is literally a. Um, it's just uh, through a dongle and then like a eighth inch to a quarter inch uh, male into like straight out of my phone, right into the focus, right. And then I just run that through yeah. Reaper and it, it, it works pretty well. Actually, it, it took some doing, but it's like, I've got seven different adapters, like <laughs> going Dongles. at all times. I know it's, it's who came up with that word dongle and assigned it. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you know what? I know what we're going to call it a dongle. <laughs> 
want to be that guy. Uh, it's like, we, we, we have a lightning guy. cable. Oh, that's rad. What are we going to call the adapter? I don't know. Like a dongle? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Why isn't there a weed called dongle? Dongleberry? I don't know. There probably is. I mean, yeah. I, I have not purchased legal weed yet the lines are so long (laughs) i don't either it's funny you know it's weird how like i don't know growing up as it's kind of the era that we we came from the same era basically and um just we you know pot was illegal everywhere it was like you know a jailable offense in almost every single state and so it's so funny now that you can just like buy it almost anywhere now and then even legally take it across state borders and even fly with it uh sometimes Totally legally, it's like it's so not dangerous anymore. It's like you're not a bad boy anymore. You're like, <laughs> I'd still be scared. I, you know, like being in a band and and that was just like we would not drive with with pie, which no one should obviously drive under the influence. But I mean, like in possession, just in possession of, of it. yeah, it's it's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a risk it's for sure. But that's the thing too is like sometimes you get to a club. And like, you know, we would, you know, just start lighting up joints and be like, you know, we've been in the van for eight hours, you know, and you just get to the club, just start cheeching. And then, you know, somebody comes in like, what are y'all doing? You can't smoke pot in here. What do you, what do you think this is? It's like, you know who you booked, right? See, on the poster right there, it says the sword, stoner metal. Like, what did you think we were going to come here and drink fucking tea? You know I, mean? I mean, I will, I'll, I could use some tea, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where I'm like, oh, come on y'all. And just, at least if you own a club, have a little area somewhere where the bands can just go do what they need to do to be able to perform right there's nothing kills a rock show vibe more than rules yeah there's got to be a janitor's closet that can accommodate us somewhere <laughs> in this building right my brother and i like standing up leaning against walls with like a mop bucket where it's like this is fine this is, <laughs> this is great thank you and uh it's i'm i you know this whole year has been so wacky you know, this COVID year, this uh-huh. non-music, not, non-live music year. And like you said, I, I really like what you were, you know, speculating about just everyone's going to be on the road competing for these clubs, for these audiences, et cetera. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. But I just, I wish that it was an opportunity to improve a lot of stuff about the music scene. Uh-huh. Like, for instance... You know, one thing that I that is missing from a lot of clubs is like a, a handicap section, like for people with disabilities. Very true. We would often get emails from people saying like, hey, I really want to come see the show, but my brother's in a wheelchair. Is there any way that you could help accommodate us? And we always did. Oh, you know, always just, you know, emailed the club, yeah. let them know. But yeah, there's a total disconnect there um, yeah. within that. that. That's a very good point. And uh, yeah. my, my friend Shauna Potter uh, from that band War on Women. I don't know if you would have heard them or not. The fantastic band, but she's uh, she wrote a book called uh, Making Spaces Safer, which I, it's it's more of a a guide, like a manual, than a, like a full on like novel or anything like that. But it's got some very great information in there that I think that anybody that owns a club should pick up a copy of that because it's just it's very simple. The language in it just spells it out like here's what you should do to make sure that your club is all inclusive and that make sure that everybody feels safe and everything like that. I think that 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 would be great if the a lot of clubs closing, you know, um, is sad and all, but with all the new ones that are going to be opening, if that could be a priority for them to make it more accommodating for all. Yeah, I agree because with this kind of like downtime, this quiet time, it's a really great opportunity for clubs to reevaluate their accessibility for people mm-hmm. and it not necessarily having to be someone having to email the band 
yeah. you know, for accommodations, but knowing that they can arrive and there is space mm-hmm. for them, it would yep. be great. It would be humane. Humane. It would be, it's just some basic human shit we're talking about here. You know, (laughs) there is nothing like I I was, I can't remember where it was. God, maybe Spokane or something like that. There's nothing like seeing somebody in a wheelchair, like crowd surfing. That's the fucking best. (laughs) It's a very like riot fest thing here in Chicago. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Yeah. It's an iconic photo. It's, it's cool. I love Spokane, by the way. I'm glad you brought up Spokane. The the shows there are buck wild. I've never seen. Uh, that's the only place that I've ever seen, like from front to back, side to side, the entire room moshing their brains out. It's crazy. I'm not the biggest fan of moshing, but if everybody's in, like, you can, hey, y'all have decided, you know, I, I, who am I to tell you not to? Um, but, uh, well, thank you so much. I don't want to take up your whole day. I really appreciate you sitting down talking with us. Um, I would love to play. You said it, you put out a record every 420. Do you have a new one? Do you have a song that you'd like to uh, play on the program? Yeah, for sure. Gosh. Um, let me actually you could our most popular song is our birthday song and it's our <laughs> band's birthday and it's white mystery birthday it's kind of cute i'll play that yeah if that's and, what you like. um, yeah. yeah and we have another song called black heart crusader which is pretty sick i think that it might be up your alley nice well i will uh yeah i'll find those or send them along to me if you want or if not i'll uh, i'll pick them up off of Bandcamp, just like everybody cool. out there should miss alex white from white mystery everybody go check them out everybody play uh waldo waldo's forever um it's just uh, it's been a pleasure thanks so much for coming on he's a bomb
much for tuning into the highway this week. A big shout out to Reverend Guitars, Railhammer Pickups, and Earthquaker Devices. If you liked what you heard, you can follow where you can follow, subscribe where you can subscribe, and if you want to go one step further, you can support us on Patreon at The Highway with Kyle Shutt. For a few bucks a month, you can help us keep this party going, get early access to next week's episode, and even get yourself a shout out. <laughs>